This is uh, Brent Johnson. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today we are broadcasting live from the home of internationally acclaimed singer, guitarist, and songwriter, Juno Hall of Fame, Canadian Hall of Fame musician, Mr. Rick Emmett. Rick, it's a privilege to have you on the show. I've been a fan since I was a kid, and thank you very much for welcoming me into your home. We're sitting in a a room right now full of amazing guitars. And Eli the Wonder Horse is just over your right shoulder. (laughs) Should I be worried about that? (laughs) No. Eli, I I often have to look at him for inspiration. (laughs) It's a carousel horse. For for those of you that uh, don't have a picture with your audio, it's a carousel horse from uh, turn of the century that I repainted. It's got a big E on it for Emmett, but I called him Eli. Eli was the uh, prophet of the fiery chariot in the Old yeah. Testament. So <laughs> I don't know why I picked Eli. It was just from E. Every now and then I think, well, if he can, if he can fly, so can my ideas. So there I, you go. If a horse can fly, so yeah. <laughs> okay. So okay. five uh, songs. So five songs. So before. Wait, uh, no, no. Be- wait, wait, wait. Before we start. Yeah. Uh, why b- before Sudbury? Before Sudbury. Yeah, the name of your show. Like mm. No Sleep Till Sudbury. Yeah, what's that all about? So that is the that was the title of my first book. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's, what did it refer to? So uh the Being reason on why, the road or something? No, well I grew up just outside Sudbury in a small town west of, forty five minutes away. And so uh my first concert in nineteen eighty three was Iron Maiden and Twisted Sister. <laughs> Good start. Yeah. <laughs> Get off of the road. That'll, that'll, uh, that'll get you going. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So uh, I, you know, I, I grew up in in Espanola, and okay. it was it was. A I small know where town. it is. Yeah, I used that town's name once in a song lyric. No, you did. Yeah, which one? Uh, uh, Unconditional love off of the Good Faith album. It was I met a girl from Espanola. No, on the up and up. Yeah, and yeah. and you actually did because I used Espanola? the rhythm of it worked, and I wanted something that had the open vowel Espanola. at the end. Espanola. I needed that hula at the end. Wow. And is it true? Did you meet somebody from Espanola? I, I, I know lots of people from Sudbury, sure. Oh, so wow. they've been in Espanola. Okay. I've driven through Espanola many, many times yeah. on my way to somewhere else. To, to... <laughs> no sleep till Sudbury. Uh. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was just, that was, uh, I was taking artistic license there. Okay. <laughs> I didn't really know a girl from Espanola. But <laughs> I, I know uh, my sister-in-law was from Sudbury, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, and you're, now you're going to go, who was that? Well, see, I get asked that all the time. Do you know John from Sudbury? Yeah. It's yeah. a little bit bigger than I, that. I once had somebody in the States recently, and they, they go, you're from Canada? I go, yeah. They go, hey, do you know? <laughs> I go, oh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty big country. It's pretty big. <laughs> anyway, so No Sleep Till Sudbury. Finish the story. So No Sleep Till Sudbury. So uh, first concert, I was 14 years old, saw Iron Maiden, Twisted Sister. And I, cu- I couldn't believe. I mean, Sudbury, you know, the beaten path basically was Toronto and then off to yes. Calgary, whatever. But I, for, for some reason, they decided Iron, Ma- Iron Maiden did. This is Power Slave by 84. They were at the height of their powers, virtually, yep. right? So they decided just to stop in Sudbury for one night to play. Right. And the, the Sudbury Arena is 5,000. Yep. capacity. I, so. did, I played it many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the, you know, what you're referring to, by the way, in the mid-80s, that, that would have been CPI, Concert Productions International, and they would often try and do a little run that would go uh, North Bay, Sudbury, Sioux, or the other way around, Sioux, okay. Sudbury, North Bay. So they'd run you on your way to Ottawa or Montreal or something. Okay. Yeah. Or the other way. Yeah, on your yeah. way to Winnipeg. And what yeah. The, yeah, so Winnipeg would be the next stop. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or maybe you go up around the lake to Thunder Bay. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'd seen Triumph a couple times in uh-huh. Sudbury, at the yeah. Sudbury Arena, with Helix once, I think. Yeah. Thunder yeah. 7. So if you have, still haven't finished the story, so the rock <laughs> so, band, we, we keep going up. So. <laughs> tangent man, tangent man. Okay, yeah. So. Okay, so uh, I could not believe that Iron Maiden was actually coming to my little town slash city. So uh, I thought it would be an apt title. It, it was a take on No Sleep Till Hammersmith. Right. Not No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Right. Uh, because I, I literally could not sleep. I was so excited. It was my first concert, and I could not believe that I would be breathing the same air as the Iron Maiden guys. And so that was <laughs> that's why I called the book No Sleep. They're good Sunday. fellas. I played soccer with them a couple of times. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, there was a guy named Keith Sharp that had a magazine here in Canada called Music Express. Yeah. And so there was a team, and it was all British expat, you know, British writers and stuff. And yeah. and, and Keith was the editor, and Kerry Duell, and, and they were all relatively lousy soccer players um but there were a few of us that were and i was a jock kind of guy so it was like i I played a little soccer when i was younger but not a lot but enough that i kind of knew the game yeah and then they would set up these charity things yeah so it'd be like you'd be playing against um you know um, a bunch of disc jockeys from a radio station or something you know but in this the the touring acts that were british def leppard iron maiden in particular Huge. had guys that had played like club ball in yeah. england like you know had uh, at one point steve harris the bass player from iron maiden he had to make the choice was oh. it going to be professional soccer or was it going to be music oh, he was that good and he chose music but he was he was that good really like he was the kind of guy that 15 yards outside the top of the box he'd get a ball backwards turn around boot kick it and it would go off the crossbar he wouldn't score necessarily but it was like almost wow. you know and he'd score seven or eight goals without you know breaking wow. sweat yeah. yeah he was an unbelievably good soccer player yeah and the, the lead singer of uh def leppard uh joe elliott, joe elliott he, he was pretty good too really yeah tall guy yeah. good with his head yeah 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 good soccer players yeah and you and i are having this conversation by the way while the world cup is going on <laughs> yeah. we're in between the semifinals and the so i'm all full of soccer lately but, yeah. yeah what did you think of the game yesterday it was good it was fair yeah. that was the right outcome croatia had proved themselves to be a pretty steely kind of team. And the fact that they had to go penalty kicks the last two to get to that game. And it goes into extra and they're the team that scores an extra. I think they showed what kind of spine they got, you know, whereas England, they had their chances in the first half. I thought they were the better team, but I didn't think they were the better team the rest of the game. Yeah. So it was fair. Right before the goal got scored, I was, uh, I was doing um, Blair Packham show. Oh yeah. So I was coming into the Bell Media building and the security guard said, wait here for him. He'll come down and get you. Yeah. So we're watching the game together. And uh, Blair comes down and says, uh, come on up. And so we do the show and it came back down. And so the uh, the security the security guard's there. And uh, there's a highlight on the TV. But I thought the game was still on. And I said, oh, good. The game, nobody, you know, it's still tied. And he said, no. And I said, oh, oh no, who won? And he said, you will not believe it. And I said, it's Croatia. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. No, but it was fair. It was it was a fair outcome. Yeah, you know they they'd had more possession. So, yeah. Yeah. anyways, we're not here to talk about soccer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one thing I wanted to talk about with you before we get into your songs, most of my listeners would probably know you as the as the singer and uh, guitar player from Triumph. So you left in 1988. You have done so much since then. 
So I think you recorded 19 records, one of those being your most recent one with, with Resolution 9. Yes. And was also called Resolution 9. Guys like Lifeson played on that from Rush, Dream Theater singer, James, James Labrie. James Labrie. Yes. Well, it's, but not actually his real name. No? No. He, he, they call him James because there was already another guy in the band that was Kevin. Is his real name Kevin? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Wow. Yeah. Great singer. And that was one of the best days of my life. Oh, really? Yeah. May 11, 19, sorry, 18. <laughs> 18. 20, 2016. <laughs> and, uh, oh, God, yeah, my brain's going on me. Yeah, May 11, 2016. And I had um, Lifeson in the morning playing guitar. Wow. And then Labrie showed up, and we all had lunch together and did the photos and everything. And then Labrie stuck around and did the vocals in the afternoon. That's awesome. So it was a great day. Wow. Yeah. And the album sounds great. Thank you. Yeah. So, so I, I was very proud of it. I mean, we ended up selling about 24,000 of those worldwide, yeah. which to me that it's, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's crushing. And the deal that they gave me, it wasn't enough that they were making their money back and wanting to do another. Mm-hmm. But I've had plenty of people in the business say, man, that's amazing. That's, that's really good. Yeah. You know, that, those are great numbers. But um, I, I was a little disappointed, but I still think it's a good record. Yeah, it, still proud absolutely of those songs is. and stuff. Thanks. I hear a little bit of triumph in there in some places. Yep. I hear um, some nice bluesy jazz things. Uh, Cathedral is one of those. I hear some darker songs. I liked it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I felt like it might be my last kick at the can. It was possible that it would be. It was highly likely that it would be. Right. And I did want to sort of try and do something that would capture the rock that I came from. Uh, that I liked way back when I was starting in the mm-hmm. 60s into the 70s. And then, uh, obviously, the Triumph stuff. Um, and then I wanted to reflect the guys in my own band and give yep. them an opportunity to sort of uh, be a part of it and, and have a, a strong reflection of what that band was as a yep. unit. Um, and that's the bonus track, right? Well, that was Good Gill and Mike coming back. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that ends the record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, and you know, I had that lyric. I knew what I was writing that about. And it was, maybe those guys will want to be a part of this record. Yeah. You know, and maybe this is the part that, that they'll play. Yeah. It, 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 you mentioned Cathedral. Like, that was one of my favorite songs. It's a good song. Thank you. It's just, yeah. it's got a nice swing, you know? Yeah. And it was like, I was trying to, I said, what would it be like if Hendrix had ever sat in with the band? <laughs> that was sort of what was in my head. Yeah. Like, what if Hendrix was kind of just playing a little rolling kind of Wind Cries Mary-ish kind of guitar yep. thing uh, over a real Robbie Robertson-ish kind of tune? Yeah. So that's where that came from. And, of course, it, lyrically, it's, you know, I carry my uh, cathedral around in a... It looks like a, something like a briefcase, but it's... Yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, Pat Metheny has a song called Cathedral in a Suitcase. Oh, does he? And I think he's talking about... A guitar. guitar, yeah, you know, but yeah, music has always been the thing for me. I, I'm, I'm not big on religion, but I'm pretty big on music. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Can we coax you to play maybe a little bit of uh, Cathedral? What right now, live? Yeah. Why not? Oh, are you okay with that? Yeah. Well, I'd have to find a guitar that's in tune. Hey, what? I'll play my new one. My new guitar here. All right. This is a surprise treat for me. So that's all that Hendrix 
beautiful. Says God's will and I never had to play it live, so I only ever sang it a couple of years ago. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Thank Thanks. you so much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, should we get to your... Oh, Rick, there's one more thing I want to talk to you about. Okay. A pair of black pants with a glove sewn into them. So uh, let me just frame this for the listeners. So so I was, I was uh, with Blair Packham yesterday, and he said, if you're going to be at Rick's house talking to Rick during the show... You need to ask him about the black pants and the gloves sewn into them. And I said, I kind, of, I kind of was like, what? And he said, no, no, no. He'll explain it all to you. Okay. <laughs> so uh, first rock band that I ever played in that became, you know, sort of relatively successful uh, was it called Justin Page. And Justin was a kind of a bar singer guy that had got a record deal with Capitol and had become, been sort of built into a kind of a, a glam rock character. Okay. So he had his hair dyed one color in the front and another color in the back, and he would go everywhere with two Afghan dogs, and he had like the, a big c- kind of cop handlebar mustache kind of thing. On stage, he would wear a chastity belt with garters and, and, and big black boots above his knee, but fishnet stockings and chains around his neck. And there were two girl singers in the band, uh, and they both had chastity belts. And they were gay. They were from the lesbian community. And the guy that wrote all the music for it was Joey Miller. And Joey was a guy from the gay Toronto community. So all the songs were like Rough Trade This and KY Cutie. And like they were all sexual reference kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So when I auditioned for the band, it was sort of understood that I would wear makeup and, and I would have to have a costume. Okay. And I went, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. And in a way... That whole thing of, you know, you've got to realize it was the David Bowie, Alice Cooper, yeah. Lou Reed, you know, kind of time. T-Rex. Yeah. So there there was that. And, and um, Master John, you know, boots with the, you know, <laughs> giant. Yeah. So um, uh, my, uh, <laughs> my aunt and my mom helped me sew. That's a costume. Okay. It was a black satin that little vest okay. with a pair of black satin pants. Okay. And I had uh, Davy Crockett. Oh, no, sorry. I had two outfits, the okay. black satin ones. I, so I had a woman's white dinner glove. Okay. So it, and it was, you know, the, the like the, the long ones that came all the way up your arm. Yeah. 
and it, it, it with wire stuffed with foam so that it was like, a, a, and it would come through my crotch <laughs> and be holding my package. The white glove would be like on, and I had a white strap with a black outfit. So this white hand was like, everybody went, what the hell? So, and I had black eye makeup like Alice Cooper and black lipstick and running down my face. And, okay. Yeah. And so that was me playing. And I was really big into Richie Blackmore at the time. So it was like my white strap with my. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so that was the, the, it was the black pants. The other outfit was like a girl's black gym leotard. Do you remember those? Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. one they had, the girls were doing aerobics or whatever it was they were doing in like their gym classes. There's black, thing. longer sleeves stretch kind of a thing and then i had black pantyhose and okay. i had davy crockett boots with that one so davy crockett brown fringe boots with black pantyhose with a black thing with the white glove on the oh the white glove on that one as well. oh yeah well there's two gloves so i had two outfits so you could have left hand right hand yeah perfect and i could change at the intermission <laughs> That is so great. Do you have pictures of that? Uh, there are. There's one, there, there's one real fuzzy one. Yeah. You have to be a member of my forum okay. to get at that. Those pictures. Members only. Yeah, they're not really. Yeah, they're not really. Uh, <laughs> they're not out on the worldwide interweb. It's probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm glad I asked. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good story. I got a few stories, Brent. I bet you do. I've been around a while. I yeah. bet you do. All right. So, your songs. Yeah. Uh, you have got a great list here. And, and we had uh, spoken before this, and you said, you know what? You're probably not going to know a lot of these. And you were right. Um, I did know a couple. I do not know the majority. Yeah. The first one is a song. And, and sorry, just to preface this, these are tied to your youth in your personal life. And these are the songs truly that make your skin vibrate, that make your skin tingle when you yeah, hear that, them. Yeah, that was the thing that led me to make these choices. And, yep. you know, you and I have been talking off microphone before about how when you do these with people, they often say, hey, can I do another one? Because I've got another 47 songs. That, yeah. You know, and the songs have, there's different reasons why they become important to you. But putting that little condition of uh, an emotional reaction that, lasts yeah that's a pretty good one that's that's a that's a very really interesting twist on the so what five songs would you take to the desert island oh, you know no, which yeah. you know i get that all the time yeah um which five albums which five this when we're on long uh car rides in the, with the band or bu- bus rides or whatever we, one of the games we play is okay the top five rock bands in history you know yeah the top five rock albums of history the top five produced rock albums of history you know yeah. just anything to kill the time you know yeah. so but this thing about uh, an emotional connection part of it too is you're asking me i'm a guy i'm a singer i'm a player i'm a musician so i have a lot of i come at songs from a different way sometimes than guys that are just songwriters Certainly. you know um because sometimes a guitar performance will move me in a way that, you know, a song like Where Were You, Jeff Beck, I find that incredibly moving. Even just thinking of it sitting here talking to you now, I can get goosebumps thinking about the level of intensity that exists in that. But that's a recording of an instrumental, not the same thing as a song yes. that moves you emotionally, right? Yeah. So I go, Okay, that doesn't, I won't go on the list. But if I ever get a chance to make another list. Oh, you uh, certainly will. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, lots of different reasons. But yeah, I went for songs by songwriters for you that emotionally have 
a tremendous amount of depth. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. That's excellent. So the first one is Molly by Biff Rose. So, uh, <laughs> you, I, who's that? And no, I know. And that's what I said. I'm like, who is that? But I listened to it and, and it's, it's, it's an old piano song. It's, it's incredibly emotive. The, the end is incredibly sad. Yes. It's a great song. It's an incredible tune. He wrote that and that came out, um, in October of 1968. Mm-hmm. He was a guest on Johnny Carson a lot. Oh. So I didn't even find him myself. My mom became a kind of and said have you ever heard of this guy and i went what no and and she bought the album and so this album was unbel- it was called the thorn in mrs rose's side mm-hmm. now he had a, a background as a kind of a a comedy writer for tv okay. so that was why carson kind of liked him a comedy writer that became a, a songwriter and he was a contemporary of guys like paul williams and, i remember and, him yeah, yeah yeah so there was that la songwritery thing that was happening jimmy webb mm-hmm. that, 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 you know there were a lot of these guys that were getting publishing deals yeah and they all kind of knew each other and hung out and smoked dope and you know whatever they did yeah so but uh, the, uh, another and just so that people can have a context for this and know how Biff Rose was a, a kind of an influential kind of a person from that time period. When David Bowie did the Hunky Dory album, one of the songs off that uh, Thorn and Mrs. Rose's side album, a song called Fill Your Heart, no. it's the opening track on the David Bowie album, Hunky Dory. It's yeah. a Biff Rose song. And when Rick Wakeman, who played keyboards with Yes, was hired to play on that David Bowie record. Right. Rick Wakeman said, oh, David said I had to go and listen to all this Biff Rose stuff because I, I had that. to get into that headspace because that was the kind of artist that David Bowie wanted to become. That's my favorite David Bowie record. Well, there you go. That's incredible. Yeah. So where did David Bowie get that kind of emotional depth, the ability to kind of uh, tap into things like melodrama and, and nostalgia being used as pathos? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was all. That's Biff Rose. Yeah. Wow. And Molly, do you ever play any of these songs for people or do they they're just going to have to go and find them themselves? It, typically what happens is I encourage listeners to have Spotify going at the same time we're talking. I can't play the songs for right. licensing okay. issues as, as you know. Okay. But um yeah, t- people will listen along. Okay. So yeah. when you hear this song, it's a story of of a, a guy who's gone and joined the circus and he's run away from the girl that he loved. But he's he's always oh, gonna someday he's gonna get back to her, mm-hmm. and so the song goes through verse verse. The, the structure of it is such that he's going further and further away, and she's getting further and further away from her. And then in the end, she's gone, yes. and, and it's, love is lost. Yeah. Uh, but it's a beautiful structure of story for yeah. a songwriter the way that yep. it's told. Yeah. And of course, Piff is a pretty good piano player, so it's got that kind of symphonic, uh, you know, progressions, uh, chord changes key changes yep. and the the one thing that I'm, it's nice that you asked me to play because i yeah, got the please. guitar handy like it has these uh uh it's in the key of f so it has that flat five kind of sadness yeah and it's a little motif that keeps coming back in the song because the song's like 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 the circus yeah so the, the progression is pretty straightforward but when it gets back to the one chord it's the it sounds dark. That last note is dark, right? Yeah, it's a flat five. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that's pretty... Yeah. I don't think of it as dark. I think of it as uh, something's wrong. Something's outside. Something weird is... There's a something's, bit scary. Something's a little bit broken. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
pretty cool for Very a songwriter cool. you go oh right that's so that's got it all harmonic melodic uh lyrical very very strong piece of writing yeah yeah, yeah. folks uh get on to uh either spotify or youtube and listen to that song and see what what rick's talking about and try and find the original don't look at the video that he did you know 10 years ago in some <laughs> bar in new york where he's sitting at the piano go back to the original where you because it's a nice orchestration on that original recording too yeah yeah uh, the next tune is Lullaby, Goodnight, My Angel by Billy Joel. I knew this one. It's about his daughter, I believe, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Alexa, the one that he had. And this was around, uh, he wrote this 93, 94. So she would have been little and the whole idea of a lullaby for your kid. I just found it, um, it's just really strong. It's Billy at his, you know, I think, standard kind of solid best, yeah. you know. And um, but the whole thing about a lullaby being something like, uh, well, go to sleep. But this one is about what if you're going to grow old and die? Mm. So, so there's a kind of a real heaviness to this, you yeah. know, that exists in its heart where, you know, he's saying, after I'm dead and gone, we'll have had this music, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So the profound depth, again, of what does music mean to you? You know, what do songs mean to you? It's evident right there in the in the lyric of that, you know, really. Yeah. And of course... Billy writes there those are really solid constructions you know the chord oh, yeah. progression the the way it f- moves yeah yeah and you can hear beethoven and what he's like he ha- he went through a period right around this time where he was actually writing uh piano studies that became classical he got a classical player to play them and he released an album it's some i can't remember what it's called something in delusions or really yeah escapades and delusions or that's not it but Anyways, hmm. it's classical, and he studied a lot of Beethoven, mostly Beethoven, Chopin, that kind of stuff. I have no idea. So when you hear that, the, the construction of that, you're hearing a very classical approach to wow. yeah, structure and form and melody. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you've got something uh, very interesting next here. This is a four-way guitar instrumental tie yeah. from uh, Pat Metheny. This, yeah. is, this is really cool. So what I want you to do... <laughs> Is let's go through each one of these. Okay. And uh, I think Pat Metheny's, he's a special guy. He's, he's won like 10 Grammys. Oh, easy, yeah. In all kinds of different categories, right? He's yes. a brilliant guitar player. Yes. Okay, so these. Yeah, I, w- I would consider him to be the greatest living guitarist from a comprehensive point of view. Really? A composer, uh, a guy that's unafraid to experiment and try things. Uh the deepest musician. He wrote pop songs with David Bowie that made it onto the charts, yeah. you know, but he, pop, he doesn't really care about pop. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He's done uh, noise albums with Ornette Coleman in his Didn't life. Like this guy's, he's he's done it all. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a cheeky question yeah. as, as an exceptional guitar player yourself. So you said living, best living. Yes. So living and deceased. Yeah. Who's the best? You mean ever? The yeah. best guitarist that has ever lived? Yeah. Oh, wow. In Rick Emmett's opinion. That's a toughie. Sorry, we're going off topic, but... Uh, well, this would probably be a five-way tie, too, kind of, you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, it's pretty hard to not say that, um, for example, Django Reinhardt, Wes Montgomery, mm-hmm. Andre Segovia, those guys didn't have... A huge amount of influence. Chet Atkins. Yes. You know, those guys are the guys that kind of made guitar take left turns, right turns, you know, 
Well, did I name Hendrix in that group? No. Okay, so then you get to the modern era, yeah. and you know you've got guys like that. Yeah. So, um, I don't think we've seen a guitar player like that in my lifetime, except for Matheny. Yeah. Um, but Matheny doesn't have the same kind of. He didn't turn the world on its ear. Whereas, for example, like there wouldn't have been a Pat Matheny if there hadn't been a Wes Montgomery, right. and I would have put Wes Montgomery in that group of that I just named. Okay. You know, Wes should be in there with Chet and, and Andre Segovia. And if I have to boil it down and only pick one, mm-hmm. can you do it? Yikes! Can I go off the board? <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. You see, it becomes a question of taste. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think. Jimmy didn't have quite enough jazz in him for me. Okay. I would want somebody that has a little bit more jazz in him. Yep. You know, so if you're gonna make me pick one, I'm gonna pick Pat. I'll pick okay. Matheny. Okay, good pick. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go through the guitar instrumentals then. Okay. So uh, if I could, it would be the first. Okay. Which is off the first Circle album. Yeah. And uh, he did that one. It, <clears throat> that is essentially a song. That has no lyric. Yes. And it's called If I Could, because what he wants to say is, if I could only talk to Wes Montgomery, this is what i tell him. Okay. So um, I think um, Matheny's strength is that he has a tenderness and a a kind of a melancholy to to what he writes. Mm -hmm. So uh, especially in his best stuff. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Okay. You want to move off of, of, you know, I'm going to tell you something right now. So I do the exact same thing. And that's really what the show is about. The songs that move you emotionally. And there's no greater experience than to do that. I've, I've had, you know, Carl Dixon got choked up recently on the show. He was talking about how he feels about the guys in Coney Hatch. Oh, yeah. And he got emotional about it. Right on. And Good. that's that's that, that's real. That's Yeah, legitimate. well, there you go. That's what this is about. Okay. So uh, one of the ones that would tie with uh, that one, but probably would you know finish a close second, is the Moon Song off of uh, the album that he did with um, Charlie Hayden, the bass player Charlie Hayden, which is called uh, Beyond the Missouri Sky is the album that they did together. Uh, but there's the thing on there that's called the Moon Song, and they didn't write it. It's uh, it's a Johnny Mandel tune, mm-hmm. and Johnny Mandel's going to show up again later in my list, okay. but. Um, I just think it's it's just a really cool song. Now, it doesn't have the same emo- emotional depth, but if you talk about a song that sticks with me and gives me goosebumps, yeah. the melodies of that tune never fail to. Against the changes, the melody that exists against the changes of that, when I hear it, mm-hmm. I go. Plus, I have uh, other stuff that these songs played on loop tapes that we had at funerals and things. So mm. those songs mean a lot to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's that one. And then there's another uh, Matheny song that I like called Something to Remind You, yeah. which it's I'm, I picked it because all of these songs that I picked for you, they're all kind of sad yeah. and they're all kind of... And I wanted one that was more about a joyous kind of expression yeah. that goes the other way, that gives you goosebumps for the whole other reason. Yeah. 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 So Something to Remind You, which is off of the We Live Here album, which is a great album, by the way. Mm-hmm. I recommend this for anybody that's not into sort of jazz, but you want a record that's a great sounding record that'll, you know, that you'll enjoy. This was the guys in his band, in the Pat Metheny group. He sort of said to them, let's make loops. 
based on stuff that we loved when we were teenagers. Yep. So there's stuff that's kind of uh, Miles Davis-y. There's stuff that's uh, loops that are based on Latin things that from you know when they were younger and playing at Berkeley or wherever. This one is it comes from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. So something to remind you is is definitely you know it's got a lot of it's got a good yeah groove yeah. Here's the modulation. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's really grooves. Okay, so then finally, these four. I would pick uh, Emotions Wound Us So by Larry Carlton. And this is, Larry Carlton's one of my favorite guitar players. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable control, beautiful tone, you know, just a a, a brilliant, perfect player. And this is the best ballad he ever did. And it's live. The recording of this is off an album called Last Night. And uh, it's, it's live, L.A. club somewhere. And he's just a he's just a phenomenal player. The beautiful control, and uh, you know I'm not sure what he wrote it about. It's, the title's "Emotions Wound Us," so so I'm thinking he was just trying to dig really deep. Yeah. So where this comes from, the guitar is crying. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 So that's my four way tie there. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Sorry, I uh, cried. <laughs> hey. I, I shed a few tears there, people. <laughs> that's what it's about. Yeah. It really is. Uh, next is Scarlet Ribbons as performed. Now, there's a lot of performance of the song. This one is done by Harry Belafonte on yeah. your list. The song was written in 1949, and it was written by a, a guy named Jack Siegel. And Siegel went on to write other things. He was the lyricist for this. Mm-hmm. And he hooked up with this woman uh, named Evelyn Danzig. Okay. And she wrote the tune with him in about 10 minutes. Oh, wow. So this is, you know, and tr- this is not a... a it's just a straightforward enough kind of a little tune. But uh, when I was a little boy, my mom used to sing this to us uh, as a lullaby yeah. at night. Okay. And so uh, it has this incredible lyric line about uh, the the ribbons on the pillow in gay profusion lying there. So you can imagine a four-year-old kid or, you know, I go, in gay profusion? What, what is that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. But, you know, I learned that lyric. I could sing that with my mother, you know. Yeah. Gay profusion lying there. So the Belafonte version is the closest I can find to my mom mm-hmm. singing, you know, just standing out in the hallway outside the bedroom door yeah. before turning out the light. And, you know, so. That's special stuff. Yeah, great, great little tune. Jack, Jack Siegel never went on to write anything else really of oh. too much. He had some things, but nothing that has had the. Belafonte's version of that didn't get recorded until I think like 1960 something. And then it didn't even become a hit Mm. until three or four years later than that. So I don't know why that happened, but Belafonte's version didn't make it to the charts until like 1965. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, this is somewhat of a standard. It is. The the original was by a woman singer named Joe Stafford. Yeah. She had the first hit in, in 49. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that's how my mom would have known it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And your last one, this is a great pick. It's called Shadow of Your Smile. And this is performed by Tony Bennett. And I watched this. I watched him performing it on the Andy Williams show. Yes. Uh, this is like 1966. And it's almost like he's conveying this directly to you, you know? 
He's very sincere. He's very genuine. He's got his arms folded at one point. Yep. And it's just very sincere. And I was fascinated by that because, you know, I don't want to start hacking on the music today and all that. But there was this legitimacy about that that I really, really cherished. I, 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 I'm so glad that you put this on your list because I love it. Thank you. Tony Bennett's always been one of my favorite artists. Mm-hmm. And when I say that word, I mean it in every pure sense. Mm-hmm. Tony can paint. Tony, if he wanted to dance, I'm sure he would be a great dancer. Mm-hmm. Like, he's consummate in his approach. Yeah. And he knows what he's good at, and he's always just done what he's incredibly artistically great at, his control. And like, that version that you saw would have been, he's at the peak of his powers really? in the 60s. Yeah. yeah like. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's still amazing for a man in his, you yeah. know, 90 now or something. He turns up at Billy Joel concerts. Yeah. Yeah. And sings the shit out of something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Like, he, he's just incredible. Tony loves those old style tunes that, and I don't know if you know this, but there were writings uh, from the 40s and the 50s. And then this one uh, in the 60s, even this was written for, the song was written for the movie, uh, The Sandpiper. Mm. And uh, Johnny Mandel, you know, this was a Hollywood Hollywood construction. It's an old style of writing where you, it's called the, the, a verse. You, you, you have this long thing that was maybe 1632 bars at the front yep. that would be the, setting up the story and then the song would start. Mm. So I don't know if you even know this, but for example, Over the Rainbow, you know, somewhere over yeah. the rainbow. Yeah. When it starts, it kind of goes like... Somewhere over the rainbow. Now, when Judy Garland had the hit with it, she stopped doing the front the intro verse on it almost right away. But that intro verse is the thing that sets the story up, right? And and so Shadow of Your Smile has one of those. Okay. A big long thing, and Tony always does it. He's he, like he goes, no, no, I'm not going to betray the the intention of the writer, right? Because if you're an artist, you don't do that. You 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 interpret the the that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's killer. You wow. know that, that that intro, and then when he sings the song, talk about sadness. Talk about goosebumps. Oh, I, know. I know. Seriously. Yeah. That's yeah. a sad tune. But that's Johnny Mandel understanding, like. I'm gonna pick up my guitar here so I can nice. illustrate some things for you. I can play you a chord. You know, this is just in like an E minor chord, yep. right? So, but if I add a nine inside it, or you've got this side by side, right? It's just to me, it's sadness. Mm-hmm. Here's an A minor nine. Mm-hmm. So if I go from this one to this one. That's and the moon song goes. Mm. <laughs> and so there's a melancholy yeah. emptiness, a hollowness to this, because you're introducing the sound of a different It's that that again, that last note. Now I'm adding the seven inside, but it's you're getting two chords at once. Yeah. So you there's a kind of a a harmonic duplicity to this, which I love. Like there's an A minor nine with with its seven inside. Mm-hmm. But again, you get these side by side. Yeah. Which I don't know. When my heartstrings are pulling, those are the ones that are pulling. 
the ones that are right beside each other. Yeah, it just just has a morose sound to it. Uh, yeah, although I don't use them in that context. The only time I've ever used them in an angry way would have been uh, Ghost of Shadowtown on the Res 9 yes. album. I used some changes that had, like I used the six a lot in that. So there's a dominant seven over its five. But this. Mm-hmm. So you hear that? That's that's a G6. That's a B7 over its fifth F sharp. To me, that's dark. That is dark. It, and I was saying at the top of the show that you had a little bit of darkness on the record, and that was the song that I was Oh, there about. you go. And, and were, you, were you playing the leads on that? Yeah. They're electrifying. Thank you. Seriously, they're great. You know, when I did that, and, and this is kudos to the uh, Dave Dunlop, the other guitar player in my band, who uh, helped produce the record. And he said, okay, you go out on the floor and you know play this. Yeah. So I did one take. And then he said, okay, we'll do two more takes just so we've got them. And I might steal a lick from here or there and create a composite. But he says, I don't want you to overplay this or overthink this. I just want you to go and feel it yeah. and just play it you know, hard yeah. three times. And then I'll make some choices. Oh, really? But yeah. it's, you, it's mostly one take. Wow. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, that happens occasionally in your life. <laughs> Not often, but it, it happens occasionally. Oh, it sounds good. Folks, pick up that record too, by the way. Yeah. Nine, Resolution 9. That'd be good. That's awesome. Um, th- there's a couple of things from my notes that I just want to make sure that I add before our conversation ends, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said that Jack Siegel never went on to write, and he was the guy that wrote the lyrics for Scarlet Ribbons. Yeah. But he did write a song that a lot of artists did cover called "One When Joanna Loved Me. Don't know it. I know. But it's got a great lo- uh, lyric verse. And, and it's like this guy, he's sad. He's going, well, this was when Joanna loved me. Okay. And so the verse goes, when Joanna loved me, every town was Paris. Every day was Sunday. Every month was May. Uh, Isn't that, f- that's incredible. Yeah. Great lyric. So the other thing that I wanted to mention is that um, these five songs, and any song that, Anybody ever picks for these lists for you? Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I mean, I taught songwriting for a long time at Humber College, so I'm putting on my professor hat now. I'm okay. going to, you know, deliver you some shit that I would do in lectures. <laughs> okay. The, the thing that songwriters handle very well yep. in songs that are really, really good emotionally are timelines. Yeah. So especially the past and the present. So nostalgia is always going to play a big role and whether or not a song works. Absolutely. Yeah, because you're going to go, oh my God, I remember this from, you know, or oh my God, I remember when that when I felt that feeling that that person yes. felt when that bad thing happened to them that yeah. they're remembering from their past. Yeah. You know, yeah. So timeline is a big thing, okay? Yeah. So in the s- songs that I've mentioned, and, you know, obviously not the one that's the earth, wind, and fire kind of <laughs> Pat Metheny tune. Although you could say, you know, they're kind of playing on their own nostalgia, like the memories that they have of that stuff and how much they love it. Yeah. So they are playing on that a little. But the Joel tune is the only one that's about the, it's a lullaby, it's about the future. Mm-hmm. It's about what she will remember when she's old. Yeah. Which, that's kind of heavy. That's kind of, whoa, what a thing to choose to write about, right? Yeah. 
Whereas Molly, the, the guy's writing, he's a narrator, and he's going, this happened in the past. Hey, here's a story I want to tell you, folks, and this happened in my past. Yeah. So it's all about reminiscing, right? Yeah. And the Matheny, if I could thing, which kills me, that's, again, the, the past that cannot be touched. Ribbons is present, yeah. and it's a good story about right now. Yeah. You know, like the guy peeks in and they're on the pillow there's these ribbons where did they come from you know how did this how did this even happen this magic you know it's like south american magic realism like how did this happen you know um it's it's kind of about the past because he's writing from the point of view of saying this story happened and if i live to be a hundred i'll never know where that came from so again he's playing on the past and of course shout out your smile is all about the past yeah. right yeah like it's rueful regret yeah you know usually that's going to be the, the the thing that's at play and if you're a songwriter and you want to become a better one you got to learn how to handle that that's yeah. part of the game that you're playing absolutely yeah yeah i would say you have three cards on the table past present future where's your song living yeah but what's the song about? Because the song can live in any one of those three, but the past is going to be pretty important mm-hmm. in order to get people to go, oh, you're killing me here. <laughs> well, I would also add that you have to feel it, and it's got to be real. You know, when, yeah. you, when you get emotional about songs, as, as I do, that means you mean it, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, there has to be an integrity to, mm-hmm. to that, for sure, and an honesty that yeah. has to exist. But... I also think that songwriters are like good actors. Mm-hmm. They're awfully good at bullshit. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like they get good at it. They become very good liars. Do you think so? Yeah. Oh yeah. I I on my members forum recently I had a, a woman, she said, Oh you wrote a thing and she said, Oh, you 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 know, you've always got your act so together and I yeah. go, what you see is a showbiz construct mm-hmm. and you see you know, I'm sixty five years old, I've been in show business a long time. Yeah. So I know how to be able to make it look like I got my shit together. Yeah. But we're all just people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're all just doing the best we can with what we got. So, Absolutely. You know, if if you uh, train all your life uh, to be a, an electrician or a plumber or, you know, you, then you're quite good at that too, right? Yeah. So if you've been play acting and singing songs and pretending and writing stories, you know, you get pretty good at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thank you immensely for the glimpse inside today. I really appreciate that, Rick. This has been a pleasure. I've been doing the show for a long time now, and uh, this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, experiences. And I I, I say that very honestly. Cool. Great. Thank you very much. Next time we do this, let's do um, uh, songs that I sang at my uh, daughter's weddings. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'll bring the (laughs) Kleenex. Because I had to sing songs at my daughter's wedding. Did you really? That, sir. Talk about emotion. Oh, oh that. That was freaky. How did you keep that it together? That was freaky. Yeah. All right. That's what we will do. All right. Thanks, Brent. All right. Thank you. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Rick Emmett. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.